On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll get you caught up on a very busy February for the Indiana Pacers, a contract extension, action at the trade deadline, and many representatives at All-Star Weekend. I know that Fieldhouse Files has a prolific following. You know, I just want to be careful about sharing too much with the world. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, as I speak, the Pacers are currently in 12th in the Eastern Conference, 27-35, and 35, now going about the way I expected for this season after that great, what I called, magical start. Now we're seeing a little bit reasons why I called it that, 23-18 and 18 to start, since they have lost 17 of their last 21 games. The defense has not been good. The slow starts have remained a thing where they've still lost a majority of the first quarters this season. There's still a lot to like, but as we fully expected at the beginning of the season, it is a developmental season, a season about growth, uh, about individual and team growth, about establishing a culture, establishing an identity, I think those latter two points are a work in progress, but they have done that. It is evident. You can see it on an everyday basis, whereas it was not present, I don't think, over the last couple of years. So that part is there. I think Rick Carlisle and his staff not only are more comfortable with each other, with this role and everything, but you can kind of sense it with the guys, and they've kind of know what to expect from each other and this entire player roster because it's turned over several times here the only constant now is miles turner who's led them in scoring the last couple of games and maybe that's where i'll start this whole thing because that's kind of where things started this month i know it's been awfully difficult for me to find time to get a podcast out but i'm gonna try to get back to doing these with great regularity Uh, even though it's just myself doing all these editing producing recording and all of that i want to get some guests on here obviously as well but right now we're certainly at a point in time again like at the beginning of the season where the games are less important the big picture in mind is important what we're seeing from players from the coaching staff what they're trying to show us is another thing to keep in mind and in that big picture is we got some clarity about miles turner's present and future as the team was able to lock him up for a two-year contract extension At about $58 million guarantee, there's another couple million dollars, by the way, in there of bonuses that he could reach. But this is a good deal for both parties, where it just made a lot of sense. Uh, Ultimately, they were able to come together after kind of a hard negotiating period, as I was told, for a couple of weeks. And then we're able to finalize it really over a 48-hour window. I got the notice on my drive to Bloomington, I'll never forget this. I was driving down for IU basketball game. I believe they were playing Ohio State. And all of a sudden, I had to switch seats with my friend who I was taking here because I was driving, and now I needed to work the phones, send some messages, and start a story. And then if you know me, when I go down to IU, I'm almost always at Mother Bears. And so there I was at the bar with my pizza, and a beer in front of me as I wrote my story for fieldhousefiles.com and was able to get a couple more people on the phone just to kind of add more context and and personality, if you will, to that story rather than just the news uh, that was put out there. Um, 
and confirming all of that, obviously. But for the Pacers, this made a ton of sense because you've seen how much of a difference he's made this season. He's taken a big leap this year while being the true and only center on the roster. He's maximized and really benefited from having Tyrese Halliburton as his point guard, the best point guard that he has ever played with professionally. How those two have really gelled well and have now come to expect in a season and a half what to count on and expect from one another. And I think that's the biggest reason probably for Miles' jump, but playing the true five uh, is also another big reason out there. In the first, what, 30 games of the season, he had another big out there, and that clogged things up and made things a little bit more difficult because of the way in which opponents chose to guard them and him specifically. Uh, now, it's kind of bizarre, but also it makes a lot of sense. But since late December, Jalen Smith not only really hasn't been playing much, but he's mostly out of the rotation. Now, as I'll get in later in the podcast, I think that's going to change here as we first saw with Orlando, and but also moving forward for the final couple dozen games here this season. But for Miles, is a guy that didn't finish the last couple of seasons, but is having a career year. Good to get some guaranteed money, certainly right here. And now he's easily over $100 million in career earnings as his first contract, uh, his rookie deal, then his contract extension that he's currently playing on. That was, I think, four years, 74-ish million dollars. And then this extension that will start for next season. And uh, for him, what it also it gives him that certainty, at least in the short term, of where he's going to play and that he has that contract extension and the money you know, to his name for at least the next couple of years. It also reduces his cost and cap number to about $20 million because he's earning another $17 million. It's This is the really cool thing is not only was this an extension, but it was a renegotiation and extension. A rare thing that's only been used, I think, nine times in the history of the league. Uh, because the Pacers are one of a couple teams with cap space, this is why they were able to do it. So they added on another $17 million this year. So that brought his season total to about 34, a little over $34 million. And then in turn, basically he's getting money up front. And then on the back end, the next couple of years, he's getting basically, I think it's 21 and 20 million dollars a total of 41 and so not only is that what he'll cost the Pacers on the salary cap but if they ultimately decided to move him down the road and who knows um then makes it a lot easier to get a better deal for him as well it's a lot more tolerable if you're another team out there and the cost for miles is 20 rather than say 30 or 32 uh, so that's a good thing it also brought the Pacers over the salary floor which they were going to do. It was just a matter of when, and there was no rush. They could do it until the end of June. But that was a, a cool moment. I remember that Monday, Pacers had the day off, but you still had about eight or so players in the front row watching this all go down in front of about 100 or so team employees and such, plus media and others. So it was a special day for Miles. I just felt bad because there were storms and freezing cold temps and bad weather back home for him in, in Bedford, Texas. So his parents, his family, and his manager uh, could not make it to Indianapolis, could not celebrate with him at the time. And that's how you can also tell how sudden it was, because if they knew it was going down Monday, they probably would have flown in a, a day or two earlier, for example. So that speaks to the context of the situation and maybe the timeline for which 
and how it went down. And then a couple weeks later was the trade deadline, and that's why I personally kind of felt like I was just trying to keep my head above water because in addition to the games, you had this extension. You had the trade deadline. Uh, then you were looking and tracking all-star stuff and reported first to report Buddy Heald was going to be in the three-point contest. And uh, then we saw a couple of rising stars with Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard, and then Tyrese Halliburton wanting to join Buddy Heald in the three-point contest. So that happened. I worked on a couple of uh, non-basketball player profile features that I have not yet put out there, but I, I think you'll enjoy those. And then, of course, Tyrese making the All-Star game and finding out in his first game back. That was back on February 2nd against the Lakers. And then, of course, he played his former team and the Sacramento Kings the next game. And then I was able to talk to Demonis Sabonis. So, yeah, there's been a lot going on in Pacers land in the NBA. And with this jam-packed schedule, it's not only a lot for the players and the coaches to prepare for, for fans to try to watch three or four games a year, but also for us media trying to provide you with the best coverage and different coverage of the Pacers and, and other teams as well here. Uh, but to get back to the trade deadline, with the Pacers, it included one main deal, and they were part of a four-team trade that was with Phoenix, was Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and the Pacers. And with that, the ultimate result was draft assets plus hometown hero in George Hill plus a potential talent in Jordan Wara. Forget the N is there. Yes, it's NW. ORA, but just ignore the end. It's Jordan Wara. Now, because the Pacers had a full roster and they still do, they did have to waive three players in order to complete the transaction, which brought on Jordan Wara, George Hill, and Serge Ibaka, who they subsequently waived a couple days later. Um, and he is trying and probably may get on with a playoff team, but he really had no interest in joining the Pacers. George Hill, though, did and, and a lot more on him to come in future days. But he's thought about his future and how he'd like to play a couple more seasons at least and then maybe have a future in a front office or, or something like that and right here with the Pacers, which is much different than I understood his situation previously. Remember, he's not a big sports guy. If you talk about the Super Bowl, he probably didn't watch it. If you're talking about the Final Four, I'm guessing he didn't watch it. He's got a couple kids, um, not a big sports guy. He's just good at basketball, so that's what he does. It's not who he is. But uh, back to what I was getting at, they waved Terry Taylor, Goga Bataze, and James Johnson. Goga later signed with Orlando Magic. Terry Taylor stuck with a two-way deal with the Chicago Bulls. And how about James Johnson? Not a bad gig for the veteran, the oldest player on the team, who was making, I think, $4 million, I want to say, this year. Upwards of that. Well, he essentially made another 900000 purely for being waived and not being part of the team for maybe four days and, and getting that extra money, obviously, by, be, by re-signing with the team. He's become a huge asset in terms of the culture and instilling principles and, and coaching guys up and being in Tyrese Halliburton's ear especially. He's one of Tyrese's closest teammates here as well. So you don't take that lightly or for granted. And this front office is trying to empower Tyrese and set him and the whole team really up for as much success now and in the future as they can. And so to do so, that means including James Johnson, at least for the rest of this season. So not a bad gig uh, for him. But again, this deal was 
helping Milwaukee out by taking on some of those contracts. And, and as a bonus for doing that, a payoff, if you will, Pacers getting three future second-round picks, which have been huge assets. You saw at least several deals go down during the trade deadline where it was you know, four, five second-round picks. So now with three additional, and they have most of their own moving forward. You never know how that can help. Remember this year they also are slated to have three first-round picks, their own plus Cleveland's, which will probably be you know 24, and maybe Boston's. That'll be that last pick of the first round if it's continuing to go the way it, it presently is. Boston with the top record in the league, so that would be pick 30 right there. But uh, the deal was done to get those assets, those second-round picks, and it doesn't impact me, you, or the front office by any means, but by doing those deals, it ultimately cost Herb Simon about Another $9 million or so. Not my money, so I don't care. But also keep in mind in the offseason when they waived three other players from that Boston trade. Yeah, so that's six guys they owed guaranteed money to um, to kind of go away. Now, of course, James Johnson then got paid more money to come back. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you get the draft assets and you're trying to make the team better in the long term. But... Man, that's nothing to uh, skip over if it's me. That's, shoot, $1 million. I'd happily take. uh, Or that $900,000. That's what you and I probably call years of nice salary. But that's good work if you can find it. So now the Pacers still have a 15-man roster, which still is not my preferred way of doing business, especially for a non-contending team. I I still believe you should really maintain some flexibility, keep that roster spot open, whether it – Previously was for a trade deadline or offseason move, or and now, you know, what if there's someone with their G League they want to call up, or maybe a, a player falls out of favor with another team and gets waived? Like they have no interest, but you know, Nerland's Noel agreed to a buyout here. Well, maybe if you had interest, then you wouldn't have to waive another player to give him a 10 day or sign him for the rest of the season. I'm all about trying to maintain a little bit of flexibility there, but they have not done that the last several years but that's something i watch every year and will keep in mind for next season uh one other single moment i I should highlight is buddy healed who's having a really good season much like miles turner he is a huge beneficiary of playing alongside tyrese halliburton those two are on the same wavelength they've played together uh, for tyrese's entire career they get along they fight like brothers in a good way Uh, They compete like crazy, and that's certainly notable. You throw Ben Matherin in there, and those are probably the three biggest competitors on the team, and they all make each other better. And they all have the similar characteristic in in that they hate missing games. Heald, Matherin, those are the two Pacers to play in every game this season. And Tyrese would absolutely be part of that bunch if he did not have, I think it was a, a hamstring tweak for a couple games out west, early part of the season, mostly it was that elbow sprain, what, in January 11th against the New York Knicks that cost him about 10 games right there. But Buddy Heald uh, a couple weeks ago became a season single-season leader and made threes, surpassing, yeah, you guessed it, Reggie Miller with more than 20-some games left. So that was a huge accomplishment for him and notable because of that. But also he's been good for probably four and a half, five threes per game this season. Uh, he's going to get the attempts up. And just imagine, it's fun to put it in context, you know, if Reggie took the same amount of threes as some of the guys here today, Dame, what, made th- 13 threes in a 71-point outing the other night 
that was fantastic. Uh, you know, you're seeing Buddy Heald sometimes put up double-digit three-point attempts. That was rarely the case for Reggie. It was just a different game. But just imagine not only how he would thrive in today's three-point shooting, high-scoring landscape, but also how much longer he could probably play just being in a corner or you know not having to move as much as he did through all that. But it was a very productive last couple of weeks for the Pacers in terms of the extension and, and Buddy Heald's notoriety and getting Tyrese Halliburton back into the lineup in early February. And all that uh, was great for the Pacers. And now that leads me to our next talking point here is All-Star Weekend. I was the beat writer out there, uh, was able to experience all of All-Star Weekend when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, one of several that I've been to and uh, want to share my full experience here with you. Well, first of all, the thing to like most about All-Star Weekend for me was the fact of so many Pacers involved. You had the Rising Stars, a three-point contest, a couple of Mad Ants in the G League Next Up game, and then, of course, Tyrese in his first ever All-Star game. Let's begin where it began. On Friday, and of course, All-Star Weekend taking place in Salt Lake City, I went not only because it's one of the best events and most fun each year, but also because of so many players involved from the Pacers, and it's in my backyard, it's in our backyard, right here in downtown Indianapolis, one year from now. Next year, uh, after a three-year postponement with COVID and all that went on, and in fact, I asked Adam Silver about it at his media availability. Here's what he had to say about that. Got Agnes Fieldhouse Files over here, Adam. Thank you. Uh, after a three-year postponement, Indianapolis will get the All-Star game next year. I'm curious about your feelings about that and also what Herb Simon has meant to this league. Well, Herb Simon is currently our longest-standing um, governor in the NBA. Um, he has been a force of innovation and constructive change over the years. I think other governors in the league would say um, he's done extraordinary service to the league. He's a former chairman. He serves on the equivalent of our executive committee. Um, he's become a close friend of mine. Um, I know that even for incoming new governors into the league, Ryan Smith being just the most recent example, you know, he's made himself available to them to say, in my decades of experience now in the NBA, please call me if there's any way I can assist you. So I'm, I'm thrilled that um, we were able to reschedule um, that COVID you know, all-star uh, game to Indianapolis. I know Herb Simon and his son Stephen are here. 
Um, Rick Fusen, um, team president, is here together with a team of people from the Pacers and Indianapolis to study the great things that Ryan and Ashley are doing here and the community is doing here. And as I love about our team, seeing if they can like up it yet another notch when we get to Indianapolis. So I'm, I'm, I'm already looking forward to it. Yeah, next year is going to be a lot of fun. But first, we had to get through this year in Salt Lake City. And I'll share my thoughts on that experience at the end of this, talking about you know the events. So first up, Rising Stars. And it's really no longer one of my favorite events. I think it's a special honor and experience for first and second year players. It used to really be dubbed the rookie sophomore game and a true Rising Stars game. Now it's games, and they're divided up into teams and Man, was the team, Team Pow, that Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard played on stacked. Paolo Bancaro, Keegan Murray, they had so many great players on that roster that they were the easily going into it. They were the favorites, and it turned out we saw why, right? Because they had their way both times in the G League. I get why they are included. They're trying to get exposure, trying to give those individuals a special opportunity, but they just... I mean, the difference of the levels is evident. It's like having pros versus college guys, college guys versus high school guys. Uh, There's another level or two that those G League players have not yet gotten to just yet. Scoot Henderson was out there. He did okay. Maybe he could uh, be a good hybrid of those. But, uh, you know, the G League team did not play well and I think lost by, I want to say, 15, 20 points, or at least that's what it felt like throughout the entirety of that game. I love the fact that Benedict was just Benedict in that he scored first both games. I think it was the first game where he scored by getting to the free throw line. Yeah, no no change in how he plays, even though it was kind of an all-star experience there. And so they went on to win both the games. There were three games in total, uh, and the two winners from the first two games met in that final game. And so it's not even a Rising Stars challenge. It's kind of Rising Stars games and they played to a number. I think it was 40 the first games, and the final was maybe 25, if I remember correctly. Anyways, a little different, a little bit wacko. It's kind of the one event that gets things started at All-Star Weekend, and more than anything, it's an honor, uh, probably extra money for those players on those teams. Uh, but more than anything, like Matherin said, it's a taste of All-Star Weekend. It's a chance to be celebrated to be rewarded for good play, but also get a hang around other guys in your draft class, maybe guys around your draft class. And uh, you bump into other all-stars at the hotels and give you something to aspire to. Yeah, they'd much rather, I think, generally be in like Cabo, <laughs> let's say here. I know I would have. but And I was actually surprised. Both Andrew and Ben said, you know, after the Rising Stars, they were just going to go home to Indy. Andrew joked, yeah, I'm just going to go in my warm bed and relax for a couple days. After the All-Star game, Tyrese came back to Indy. Buddy uh, came back to Indy. Um, They're just, the All-Star brings not long enough if you go to All-Star Week and if you participate in if it. If you're not, then you have, what, Thursday to basically Tuesday morning or Monday night, a good four or five days at least. Shout out to so many of the Pacers that were able to get away, get to uh, the Caribbean, the Cayman Islands, the down to Florida, um, over to Jamaica, 
Um, it was fun the day after. So that would have been, I think, Thursday morning after their game Wednesday. Uh, I ran into several Pacer players at the airport. This is a different experience for them because it wasn't private. It wasn't charter flight like they travel uh, during games. Ran into several team employees. And then I also ran into many uh, folks from the city that were headed to Salt Lake City uh, to take in the events there at All-Star Weekend because it's all right here in Indianapolis next year. Um, it was a little goofy, I will say, on Saturday in terms of media availability. That's the window where the small window, uh, we're talking 10, 15 minutes max, where we'll, we're able to talk to uh, guys that are participating in the events. First up were those participating in All-Star Saturday night events. So for me, the main thing was getting to talk with Buddy Heald. I think he talked for about 15, 20 minutes, actually, uh, answering all kinds of questions. And then a little bit after that, uh, while that was going on, one of the all-star teams was practicing. That was the East team. And, of course, they mix up lineups and had the live draft. Uh, so the teams you know, that were practicing together weren't even the teams that played together. Anyways, practice didn't seem like a big deal uh, at all, ultimately. I wasn't able to get there because that was overlapping with media availability time. Not sure how much of you care about these kind of inside media, inside my world experiences. I know maybe a little bit. Um, and I try to take you where you cannot go. That's one of my biggest things I try to do in this job and at fieldhousefiles.com. But so anyways, then after those players practice and they, they talk to us. And so that's when I was able to talk with Tyrese and a couple other all-stars wanted to get over to Donovan Mitchell, see what he thought about, you know, what it was like having the all-star game kind of in his city, right? He grew up with Utah, meaning, you know, his so much of his time in the NBA spent in Utah. Now he was obviously not with Utah and over in Cleveland, but he was still recognized and celebrated like a Utah Jazz. That's an experience Tyrese and others may have next year. So I wanted to talk to him about that. But guess what? I wasn't able to because we had some quote-unquote media members in there asking the most ridiculous questions. I'm good with some. But they know who they are. But there was, there was one guy going around at Media Day asking, what was it? It was start, bench, cut. And it was like computer, PS4, and a phone. If I was one of those players, get me out of here. This is such a waste of time. There was one guy that came up, and I think he said, my name's Sam. Do you know anybody named Sam? The player said no. And he goes, great, can we be friends? Like, what a waste of everybody's time. Then there were other people coming in. Who's your favorite WNBA player? Uh, who's, a who's a couple NBA players you looked up to growing up? It was kind of cool. You had a couple of the dunk participants come around with a mic uh, with something they were doing and asking players, you know, who do you think will win? And, of course, you got to say the guy that asked you the question. So uh, they did. So I saw Tyrese do all of that. But it's a little bit like Super Bowl media day, which is gone irrelevant, I think. They moved it to nighttime to try to be in prime time, but in turn, for the real journalists out there, you're not really getting much any good content. You're getting guys that dress up like superheroes, and it had, this didn't quite get to that level. But you did have some baffling questions that I was like, I, I just here here was my biggest takeaway is I think so many people there were there for their vertical iPhone video to throw it on Instagram for the one clip that could go viral. Rather than you know doing a full story or putting together a package of stuff like that, like uh, Rob Perez, Worldwide Wob, he was going around asking interesting question to every player there. One of which was, uh, "How did you? What was your oh shit you've made it moment in the league?" Then he packaged those together of about fifteen different guys doing that. I thought that was kind of a really cool package and a good way to take advantage of 
so many great players being in the same place at one time in a not-so-serious situation. Um, I Who was it? Oh, it was Tyler Hero, who I think just had his second kid, by the way. And I kid you not, somebody goes, should I become a dad? That was the question to Tyler Hero, and he was like, <laughs> well, I don't know. What are your circumstances? I like it, but that doesn't mean it's from like, – yeah. Anyways, enough about that. You're probably not wanting to hear about all that, but excuse that tangent oh, right there. The media interviews went fine, though, and then by nighttime, it was time for the three-point contest, the second of three events there, and to me, still remains a featured event. I don't like the fact that the NBA even invited a Mac McClung, a G League player, that was kind of called up to the 76ers to participate in this event. He was spectacular. That was a lot of fun. But also, I mean, think about a guy like John Morant. You think he wants to not only risk injury, but now you know, have the chance to maybe lose to a guy like Mac McClung or a G League player or a seldomly heard from player in the dunk contest? No, that's part of the problem. But I would love to see Indy be the city that kind of made it better or improved upon that, as well as in the All-Star game. It was good to see Tyrese finish with 31 points in the opening round, one of two rounds in the three-point shootout, jumped out, had the best showing of anyone in that first round, and Buddy Heald was just freaking out on the bench, Tyrese was saying. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Like, this isn't going to work out. Just imagine Buddy and his voice and, you know, how competitive he is. But ultimately, those two pushed through to the finals along with Damian Lillard. And then they go in reverse order of how they finish. Mean Tyrese was last, Buddy was first, and Dame went in the middle. And while Tyrese did not have a good round, Buddy was okay. Finished with, what, I think 25 points. And he would have won it all for the second time in three participations. However, Dame Lillard, who we know can go hot, who this week went off for 71 points against the Houston Rockets, who are looking forward already to Cabo, it seems like, the way they've been playing. Nonetheless, Dame had to hit the final four threes he threw up, and he did, and beat Buddy by one shot for the three-point crown. And the thing I like love about Dame is he appreciates and doesn't take it all for granted. You should have heard some of his stories he talked about post-game and what it meant and him sharing the trophy with others and those sorts of things. He's not one that just kind of shows up and goes through the motions. Whatever he's involved with, uh, I think we've clearly seen how much he cares about it and invests his time in those certain things. All right, well, we get to Sunday, and that's kind of the one day where all of us are able to sleep in at All-Star Weekend. We're making up for... Uh, long nights out of, of talking and having some fun and networking and those sorts of things. And to me, that was the best part of All-Star Week. And it was seeing media colleagues who don't come to Indianapolis because the Pacers aren't good right now. It's media colleagues who I haven't seen since COVID that maybe I've only talked to or seen on Zoom. And so to catch up with them, both national and other beat writers. So that was a good time for me. I then use Sunday afternoon to get ready for the All-Star game and also to take in more of Salt Lake City. It felt like, you know, the city just wasn't a huge part of the weekend. I mean, it wasn't until Sunday where you could kind of sense something was going on in the downtown. Now, right around the arena. And by the way, the arena is the opposite of Lucas Oil Stadium when you think about a footprint of downtown. You can't see the arena just two or three blocks away, whereas think about like the Fieldhouse or especially Lucas Oil Stadium here in Indianapolis. It dominates the skyline. You see it coming around 70 on the south side. You can see it on 70 on the east side. Um, 
trying to get there, those sorts of things. And so um, I just kind of walked around, went over the convention center where kind of the fan area was. I think they were charging $20 for fans to go through. And it's definitely recommended, um, I would say, if you have kids, if you're going to be interactive. So much of the stuff was interactive. It was shooting hoops on um, baskets. It was taking part in conversations, listening into speakers, face painting. There was a, a ski thing where you could get it, wait in line and get on and uh, kind of like a skiing video game. Maybe the best way to explain it. Uh, there was a couple cars you could climb in. There are a couple like obstacle courses. Anyways, I think Indy, Indy's clearly going to do it better. They're going to blow this out of the water over the convention center. I think it'll probably be like twice as large. I'm hoping they bring down the price so that more people will be encouraged to go there, be encouraged to check it out. And that's at minimum one touch point where all fans of sports can visit and kind of take part in All-Star Weekend next year. I, I was good with the convention center. If I had to pay, it was probably not something I would have paid for just because it was for me, it was mostly people watching. I didn't partake in anything. I didn't eat in any of the you know pop-ups that were right there. Bill Walton came through and, and talked. I didn't really care to listen to, to him ramble on uh, like that, but uh, that would be something to consider for you and your family, I think, next year when it's here in Indy. But then at night, then it's showtime. And first, I guess I got there earlier because LeBron <laughs> didn't get to All-Star Weekend until Sunday, like that true vet that he is. And so he spoke with the media at what felt like 5 o'clock. Um, didn't ask any questions just because I wanted to <laughs> let the national media and their beat writers get time. And it was only felt like it was maybe 20 minutes at max right there. And the most interesting thing he said was the final 23 games are the most important 23 regular season games of his career. Think about that. In his 20 years in the league, yeah, might be a little excessive, but I also understand whenever he talks, he's speaking not only to fans in the media, but also to his teammates. He does it purposefully, and he, you have to have that approach that these games are very meaningful, even though we all know the Lakers aren't going anywhere this season. They don't have the talent. They're too old. I don't understand this roster. That's a whole different conversation. So LeBron talked. Uh, then we kind of got ready for the game. Um, Tyrese was one of the first players on the court for warmups. He's a little bit antsy, uh, but mostly ready to get going. He was like, yeah, I was just having a lot of conversations with different guys. It felt like he got closer with Drew Holiday, especially uh, Jalen Brown, uh, some other guys as well uh, that they were able to talk to. I think he said Kyrie was one of the guys who whose locker was next door to his uh, nearby right there in the locker room. Um then ultimately he just kind of waited his turn the live draft happened which i thought went well but the, let's speed that up doesn't need to be a half an hour let's maybe make that eight ten minutes that'd be great and the trouble is of course and i know it's been talked about a lot but the the competitiveness of the game just was not there the defense was absent um and i found myself in the third quarter working on a story <laughs> rather than watching the game almost like think about that um, that was tough. And then the other thing here is you're setting the tone here with a live draft and then a concert of Post Malone. And so the players go an hour from warm-ups back to a secondary warm-up period before then. So that also 
really sets the tone about what the night's about, that it's not completely basketball. But they they definitely can step it up. They all know that. They all understand that, and hopefully they will. Uh, not surprised at all, Jason Tatum, a Kobe guy, won the, the Kobe Trophy there as MVP of that All-Star game. And get this, by the time most of us media got down to the event level, we were at the top, the sixth floor of Vivint Arena. By the time we got down there, and I took the stairs because there's one elevator and it was terribly slow, LeBron was almost done with his media availability. So he arrived early, only did media that day, (laughs) played the first half of the game, didn't play in the second half, and then completed his media by the time most of his teammates were just getting in there. That was a veteran move, and then he was probably on the first plane smoking uh, that night within the hour. I'm almost certain of that. So that was hilarious. Tyrese, he joked, you know, clearly this was his first time at the All-Star game because he thinks he was the only All-Star plane that was spending the night in Salt Lake. All the rest were taking planes out of there, whether it was to vacation, somewhere warm, or just back to their city. He did not. He and his family, his girlfriend, close friends, all went to a nice dinner where he tried to go into it with a, a, an angle of reflection, appreciation, of gratefulness for the player he's become and to become this all-star level. And then also, how do you maintain that? How do you move forward? So I thought that was a very mature approach for the you know, 23-year-old here who's just in year three in the NBA and now one full season with the Pacers. And so now Indy's on the clock. It's our show here. Uh, I did fly out. A day later, uh, so I ended up, did go to the Great Salt Lake. Not much there. Kind of disappointed. Um, just kind of water and some signs and, and all that within a park. Uh, that was one thing in Salt Lake I wanted to check out. Would have liked more time to get to BYU, but that was at least an hour away and didn't have that time or the car necessary to do that. Um, but my grand takeaway from Salt Lake City All-Star Game was that it was fine. Nothing memorable. That it was okay. Uh, it's good not to have any negative feedback, but it just didn't really leave an impression on me. Uh, don't really have a grand takeaway in terms of what Salt Lake's about or what it's not about. Um, obviously, drinking is a little bit different. You're not getting heavy pours. You're not getting doubles pulled for pulled poured for you. Should say there's actually like a sensor, a button they pick poke, and when they push that, I should say they turn it, and that's that's the drink. And that's very different, I think, than all of us are used to. That I was expecting going in. But I was asked on a radio show. I'm on with Kevin Query every Thursday. And one of the questions I was asked was, all right, what was the special drink or special food? You know, what stood out to you? You know, in Indy, we have the St. Elmo's shrimp cocktail or great steaks or, uh, you know, some local flavor. And I got nothing. That was disappointing. I think that's one area where Indy will absolutely hit its mark. They're going to represent the city well. It's going to be great, hospitable people. Um, I did appreciate, and we got a warm-knit hat and gloves at check-in. But outside of that, there were some signs around town. Not a ton. Um, You had to go 20 minutes off the downtown four at the University of Utah is where those practices and where the media sessions took place. Well, that's not going to be the case here for an Indy. It could be at the Freeland House. It could be at the Convention Center, maybe Lucas Oil Stadium. None of that has been determined other than that the All-Star Game itself next year will be at the Field House. You could see Saturday night at the stadium. Um, you could see Rising Stars, something like that. And Convention Center absolutely will host a ton 
um, which will be a blast. But uh, again, so good to see many of the media colleagues ran into Paul George, Domas, gave them fist bumps. I uh, do want to note how it's cool to see one of our own Dean Hevelin uh, from Indy, from Speedway technically. But he's been with the Pacers 20-plus years as the vice president of game operations. Well, he was one of two game directors inside the arena for the All-Star game. So he sat courtside at the score stable, and that's a huge honor and a huge undertaking for something like that. And by the way, I shouldn't note this. I thought I've made it clear, but maybe not on different things, different platforms. But the NBA All-Star Games run by the NBA. It has influence by the local market by Indy, by Salt Lake City, previously Cleveland. But it's run by the NBA. So uh, you're going to have season ticket holders unhappy. You're going to have locals a little bit unhappy. Um, Indy, for example, will suggest stuff, but the final decision, my understanding is it's all by the NBA. They have a group that runs all these events and orchestrates it. It's their showcase each year. They bring all NBA.com, Turner Sports, all their PR people, and and go big with this. It's one, one of their big showcases. Um, each year and so uh, that's something to keep in mind when all these decisions are made one thing that just broke as i'm recording this hate that it happens 40 minutes into a podcast but kendall brown is done for the season the pacers announcing monday night that the 19 year old underwent surgery to address a right tibia stretch fracture oh that's so tough that's tough man if you've followed he suffered a stress reaction in that right foot in mid-December. And he told me a month later that, you know, this is something he had been dealing with for a while. He just didn't want to be that rookie or new guy that was complaining. And so finally he, he did. And after thinking it was kind of minor, maybe a muscle injury or something, they got an MRI and it revealed a stress reaction. If you're familiar, stress reaction, that's what Miles Turner had in his foot. Now he seems to be okay. It did not become anything more serious. Kendall Brown returned after six weeks. It became a fracture, much like maybe Cade Cunningham. Up with Detroit, required season-ending surgery. Uh, Very different injury, but T.J. Warren's injury was a stress fracture requiring surgery. Now, according to the great athletic trainer Jeff Stotts, who does a great job covering injuries in sports, he says this to, to kind of describe what these types of injuries are like. And I quote, initially a stress reaction occurs and is marked by localized pain and swelling. Yeah, that, that marks with what Kendall complained of. Stress reactions are often treated conservatively with rest uh, in hopes that the remodeling process can catch back up and the bone can return to full strength. However, if improperly treated or enough time is not allowed, a stress reaction can easily develop into a stress fracture. And then the average time lost for these that require surgery, Stott says, is 61 games. But fortunately, these types of injuries not career-altering. A 2017 study he shares on bone, on bone stress injuries in the NBA showed that individuals who suffer these often return to pre-injury level of play. Good news there. And then Kendall Brown, short while ago as well posting on instagram surgery went good y'all blessings 19 year old would be a sophomore at baylor university if he didn't come out for the draft and the minnesota native taken by the pacers in the second round only played in six games with them 16 games with the mad ants but ultimately had a season cut short due to that right tibia that just hadn't been fine since the fall unfortunately at least that's at least what kendall 
knows about that, but wanted to pass along that note as I wrap up this podcast went a little bit longer than I would have liked as uh, right now the Pacers are down in Dallas. They're on a four game, 10 day road trip. This is part of a stretch with 11 of 14 games away from Gamebridge Fieldhouse. I thought it was pretty cool when Monday night the Pacers were having a, a team dinner together, uh, they're having three nights together, I believe it is, down in Dallas, which is kind of cool, um, mostly for Rick Carlisle, whose wife and daughter are still there, um, and also Miles Turner, where his family, and that's his hometown, hometown team was Dallas growing up for him. So as you would not be surprised by, is they allotted additional time down in Dallas for those two in particular. Um, and so wrapping up, what's this final stretch about? Not necessarily about wins and losses. Let me reiterate that. It's Let's go back to that preseason conversation where let's see how this team comes together. Let's see what continuity they can build. Let's see what lineups look like together, and let's see what kind of individual growth is made. Jordan Wara played just four games with the team. His fourth has so far looked his best. He played really well. Not perfect, not outstanding by any means. Had a lot of uh, several slip-ups, at least that I watched uh, or observed in the first watch there, but uh, finished, I think, with like 18 points in 21 minutes, played well, eight rebounds, like five assists, liked what I saw from him, so I wrote about him today at fieldhousefiles.com. I'll get a story up shortly about Kendall Brown and that injury as well. He's on a two-way deal, doesn't impact this team by any means currently, but you just hate it for the young man, 19 years old and having to undergo surgery. I don't care what it is, anything with surgery or a procedure is concern concerning. You're you're digging in. You're you're having a needle, a knife, whatever in your body. That's not good. Um, even if it's a quick orthoscopic type of thing. But uh, yeah, this final run for the Pacers just about getting to the end without any other injuries here. Uh, I don't see them making the playoffs. No, I'm not even gonna t- take that talk. They're twelfth right now. Playoffs should not be the focus. I mean. They're four, won four games out of their last 21 here, so it doesn't seem like they're trending that way. But we still had people asking about that the other day. Well, you know, what about this playoff push? This is not a playoff push. This is a push to get to the finish line healthy and with a greater understanding of the team. And so I think you're going to see from more of the front court guys like Isaiah Jackson, like Jalen Smith, I think you're going to see more play from the younger guys here, and you should. Uh, that's what should be encouraged right now. Uh, see more of what Jordan Wara looks like with this group. We don't need to see more of Daniel Tice this season. We know what George Hill is. Uh, Miles Turner, Tyrese Halliburton, those guys don't need to play 35 minutes per game. So I think that's the way in which this team is headed, and that's kind of the mindset of the front office and coaching staff right now to kind of reassess. And, um, yeah, just 20 games to go and just over, what, six weeks here for the remainder of this regular season. So not many more opportunities for you to get to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Check out the renovated building after three years of renovations and also this current makeup of the Pacers. If you made it all the way through, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this Fieldhouse Files podcast, and I promise I'll talk to you again soon.